بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي ونسلم على رسوله الكريم ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا أما بعد رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي Esteemed and honorable ulama, beloved brothers and sisters, youngsters and elders, esteemed and honorable guests of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each and every one of us here today is extremely blessed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His infinite mercy has blessed us with countless blessings. We would never be able to ever enumerate the various different blessings and bounties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with. And it is without a doubt that the greatest blessing, the greatest gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you and I with today is the gift of Iman and the gift of Islam. And this is such a wonderful gift. This is such a wonderful blessing. This is such a thing that the Anbiya alayhim would continuously make dua for. That if you look at even Yusuf alayhi salam, a Nabi who had it all. He had the family, he had the wealth, he had the proximity, the closest to Allah. He had every, everything a person could ask for. Yusuf salam towards the end of his life, he had. And you find in the dua that he makes, he asked for two things, and one of them was, Tawafani Musliman wa Alhiqni That grant me death in a state of obedience and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a state where I am a, still a Muslim. Where I am a Muslim, I'm subservient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we look at the dua that Ibrahim alayhi salam made, then we see also of all the various different duas he could have made. After building one of the, uh, completing one of the greatest tasks, and he was aware that hundreds and thousands, billions and trillions and etc. etc. throughout time would continue to come and, my, and, and perform hajj around the Kaaba and perform salah around the Kaaba, he was aware of that. And after completing that, he made dua, and amongst the duas that he made, one of them was, Rabbana waj'alna muslimaini lak. Keep us subservient. And then he made dua also for his, all of his progeny. وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً lak. And without a doubt, we know that a person who lives a difficult life, he may have financial strengths, he may be physically ill, he may be mentally ill, he may be living a, a miserable life. But if he dies and he passes away with Iman and he passes away with Islam, then truly he has secured for himself the greatest thing that a person could secure. And on the other hand, a person has all the greatest treasures, the most amount of fame, riches, so on and so forth, you name it. He passes away without Iman, without Islam, then truly he has secured absolutely nothing for himself. It is through the blessing of Iman, through the blessing of Islam, that a person can attain peace and contentment. Allah mentions, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَلَنُحِيَّنَّهُ حَيَاتٌ طَيِّبًا That it is only when a person has Iman and he is doing righteous deeds, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed for that individual a pleasant, comfortable, peaceful life. And you'll find many other people they are rich, they are wealthy, and they are the most kind of individuals. They're the kindest. They're so charitable. They give to various different organizations and charity. And they themselves live very upright lives. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never blessed them with iman, never blessed them with Islam. Therefore, it is impossible for them to ever experience true peace and contentment. The framework that Iman and Islam provides an individual, the mindset that Islam and Iman provides an individual 
is such that it enables him to truly be at ease. That he is aware that at the end of the day, I have my Allah, my Rabb, who is in control of every single thing. Whatever difficulty I go through, my Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is testing me. My Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still the same one who is going to take me out of that test. It is through Iman and it is through Islam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides a person with a purpose in life. Such a person will never be lost. A true mu'min, a true Muslim will always have purpose in his life. And he knows exactly what is required from him at every given moment in time. It is only a mu'min and it is only a Muslim who has a set of objective laws and rules that he knows what is required from him. He knows at every given moment in time and those rulings and those laws and those injunctions will never change regardless of the time, regardless of the place. A mu'min has a structured, set way of life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also addresses us in the Quran and He mentions, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ that I have perfected for you your worldview. I have perfected, perfected for you your deen. As Dr. Saab was mentioning yesterday, Dr. Sheikh Mateen, Hafizahullah Ra'ahu, it's a comprehensive doctrine. It covers everything in life. And by doing so, I have perfected my favor upon you. And I have selected and I have chosen. Islam as a worldview for all of mankind. Therefore, every single aspect of our life, A to Z, every single thing has been documented, has been chalked out, has been laid out to this extent that even before birth till even after death, a Muslim knows, a mu'min knows what is required from him in the court of Allah. For example, if you have a fetus, a child, a fetus that is still in the womb of the mother, it's still growing, and the father, na'udhu billah, passes away, how should the, that child receive inheritance? And if so, how much or not? That's been documented. After a person passes away, how to wash the body, how to clothe the body, how to get rid of the body, how to distribute his wealth, how to take care of his dependents, every sing- or those who are dependent upon him, every single thing has been documented. Everything has been laid out. And my dear beloved brothers and sisters, part and parcel of this deen is the aspect of adab. Adab is also one of those things that has been passed on. One of those things that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has given us, has given mankind. Adab and etiquette, subhanAllah, is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, show, has granted mankind through sending them prophets time and again. We were sitting with Shaykh Khalid Beg, Hafidhullah wa ra'ahu, inshallah, he'll address us I think tomorrow. And he mentioned a wonderful, beautiful point. I never thought of this before. He said, why is it such that you find almost every single culture, every, every, every different culture, every race, every country, every, anywhere you go in the world, any person who sneezes, there is some type of a response here you see, we are taught as Muslims, you're supposed to say, Alhamdulillah, then Yarhamukallah, so on and so forth. You see other people, they'll say, God bless you. And, and, and everyone has a different thing that they say. So we thought about it. Then he said, don't you know it's because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created mankind and Adam alayhi salam sneezed, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him what to say. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed and taught all of mankind. So these are etiquettes, etc., that all of mankind received. And we hear different ahadith, khamsun min al-fitra, ashrun min al-fitra. Various different etiquettes have been passed down. In fact, the ulama mentioned what is, what is meant by fitra. There are such characteristics, such praiseworthy qualities that were found in every single nation, in every single ummah, by every single prophet, 
such that they became innate qualities of mankind that all of mankind used to practice upon or if not still practices upon so every single thing including adab has come to us via islam so what is adab what is adab adab is a very difficult thing for me to speak on Shaykh Awam Hafidhullah, he mentions, he says, Adab is one of the few words in the Arabic language which is so comprehensive that it includes within it, it, it refers to the entire deen and whatever it has to offer. And it is in line with this that the ulama, they mention, Al-Adabu huwa deenu kullu. That Adab is, is deen itself, complete deen. And it's in line with this that you have different uh, amazing scholars of our past like Imam Bukhari rahimahullah and others who wrote their, their works, the famous work Al-Adab Al-Mufrad, a compilation of over 1,300 ahadith. Like subhanAllah, just think about over 1,300 ahadith pertaining to various different aspects of life. These are not just injunctions and rulings like halal and haram, but rather morals and ethics and how to conduct yourself. It has nothing to do with this is permissible, this is not permissible, this is going to be um, you know, resulting in sin and this is going to result in reward. No, but, but mere etiquette, how a person is supposed to conduct themselves and it spans for, for, like from over various different topics such as social interactions, how a person is supposed to be with others, how a person is supposed to eat, how a person is supposed to eat, drink, eating, drinking, clothing, yawning, sneezing, walking, talking, buying, selling, visiting, traveling, you name it. Whatever. It's been documented. It's been listed. How Rasulullah used to conduct himself. Others like Ibn Hajar rahimahullah has mentioned that when it comes to adab, how has he defined adab? He has defined adab saying that it's all of those things that are deemed praiseworthy when it comes to speaking and doing. Using that which is deemed as praiseworthy in both actions and speech. مَا يُسْتَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا وَفِعْلًا some have mentioned that adab is a single word that signifies noble character. And others have mentioned that adab is honoring those who are senior to you and showing compassion and kindness to those who are junior to you, those who are younger than you. And subhanAllah, this is a very nice explanation. Linguistically, the ulama have mentioned that adab comes from the word al-udbu. I'm sorry, adab comes from the al-adbu. And that linguistically translates to ad-da'watu ila ta'amin, an invitation towards a meal. And from there, they get the word ma'duba, which is, you can translate like it's like a feast. Now, how do you get a feast and etiquette? It's so ajib. So, it's in the sense that whenever you have a feast, then there are two main components to the feast. What are the two main components? You have an array of dishes, lavish, wonderful, delicious items. That's one. And then number two, you have a whole host, a whole gathering of people that come to partake of the feast. So in a similar manner, adab. Adab refers to that individual who has an array of praiseworthy, wonderful amazing characteristics and qualities such that flocks of people uh, such that large groups of people flock towards him because of the beauty of those characteristics and those and those qualities and unfortunately in this day and age we have certain people who they limit our deen our sharia our deen our, our this 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 beauty of islam to just a simple belief La ilaha illallah And they feel that's sufficient enough for them to enter Jannah Without any actions without, they, may, they may understand actions And um, could everyone please kindly move forward
Inshallah, this, this has to do directly with our lecture today. I forgot to mention that. Before we mention that Imam Bukhari and other muhadithun compiled the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu in regards to etiquette, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself speaks about various different etiquettes in the Quran. Different things, like you, you know, subhanAllah, it's so mind-blowing that Allah talks about the etiquettes of knocking on the door, taking permission before entering the door in a home. This is something that, you know, we learn uh, in school, perhaps not even in, in Islamic environments, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already informed us of this uh, so long ago. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu liyasta'adhinkum alladheena malakat aymanukum walladheena lam yablughu al-huluma minkum thalatha marrat. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also talks about the etiquette when it comes to when you go to a gathering or a, a party, a dawat, uh, how you're supposed to conduct yourself. How long are you supposed to stay? When are you supposed to leave? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about when you're in a large gathering and people ask to make space, Allah talks about being kind to parents. Allah talks about speaking in a courteous manner, in a straight, upward, upright manner. And like that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also talks about speaking in a kind manner. And like that, there's various different etiquettes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself mentions in the Qur'an. Anyways, there are some individuals who they restrict the deen to mere aqaid beliefs. And then there are others who go beyond aqaid and beliefs. They understand that yes, there is a kalima la ilaha illallah and we have to show that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through our actions. And they, they accept and they acknowledge and they are subservient to the various different commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as far as fulfilling their salah, fulfilling their fast, fulfilling the hajj, giving zakah, so on and so forth. And then you have people who they observe the kalima, they believe, they have the right aqidah, they testify, and they also carry out those actions, those a'mal. But when it comes to ma'mulat and when it comes to their business dealings and transactions and packs that they create with others, they are not, they don't worry about it. They don't have any concern with regards to the state of their business transaction, their dealings, whether it's halal or haram. And then you have people who, mashallah, they have the aqidah, they have the right beliefs, they are punctual when it comes to their various different actions, their a'mal. They are very particular about their ma'mulat. But then unfortunately, when it comes to their own character, when it comes to spiritual ailments and checking themselves spiritually, whether they have greed, whether, they're, whether they have um, lust, whether they have pride, etc., they're not so particular. And then, mashallah, you have those who are particular about all four. But then when it comes to husnun mu'ashara, when it comes to social interactions, then unfortunately, you find a very small percentage of individuals who also care about that. But when it comes to our deen, and when it comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa then we find that Rasulullah had every single one of those things. And as a mu'min, we can never be a true mu'min, we can never be a true Muslim until a person brings all of these things into his life. And maybe, wallahu alam, it's because we feel that it has nothing to do with permissibility and impermissibility that we don't really care about it. Maybe that's why we're laxed about it. But if you look at the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he didn't just let things slide. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, إِنَّمَا أَنَا لَكُمْ بِمَنْزِلَةِ الْوَالِدِ That I am to you like a father. And in another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, مَا نَحَلَ وَالِدٌ وَلَدًا مِنْ نُحْلٍ أَفْضَلَ مِنْ أَدَبٍ حَسَنٍ That no father has ever given his child anything, any gift, which is more virtuous and more beneficial than good character. SubhanAllah. We should think about that. That whatever a person can give 
No person, no father will ever have blessed his child with anything more virtuous and better than good character. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِنَّمَا أَنَا لَكُمْ بِمَنْزِلَةِ الْوَالِدِ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was also like the father for the believers. The wives being ummahatul mu'mineen. And nabiyu awla bil mu'mineen min anfusihim. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was also very particular about this. If we look at the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he didn't let things slide. He was very particular about this. When it came to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, you find various different examples. On one occasion, Kharada ibn Hanbal radiallahu anhu, as reported in a narration of Abu Dawood, he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa having a gift. He just entered the, ha- entered the home. He entered the home without saying, without seeking permission, without saying, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. None of that. He just entered the home with a gift. And he wanted to give the gift to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Imagine now in, in what condition he came. He didn't mean any harm. He was coming to give a gift to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Now what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa do immediately when he saw him? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Irji' Go back. Leave. Go back. SubhanAllah, we see this with the maktab students. Sometimes they come, enter the teacher's lounge without knocking on the door or anything. MashaAllah, we have wonderful, diligent teachers. And immediately they see the child, first go back outside. Go back outside, knock on the door. Rasulullah sallallahu said, "Qul assalamu alaykum." First, say assalamu alaykum. Adkhul, can I enter? Rasulullah didn't let it slide. He didn't look at his intention. Rasulullah sallallahu was worried about the akhlaq and the character of the Sahaba radiallahu and he called it out immediately. And there are multiple different ahadith regarding the same exact topic from different Sahaba as well. In another instance, Rasulullah sallallahu he forbade. He forbade that people take two dates or any other similar finger foods and such when eating together with others unless permission is sought first. That if you're eating and someone brings a tray of dates, Rasulullah actually prohibited. He instructed them. Like Rasulullah would give an instruction, he prohibited something. Such that it would become actually sinful if a person engaged in such knowingly and still went against Rasulullah. That when a person is there, the proper etiquette and when you have a dish of things and people are sharing is that you take one at a time. This is also something that Rasulullah taught. Rasulullah he forbade two people, he forbade interrupting two people who are engaged in a conversation. We see this is subhanAllah also taught in like, I mean, I heard this in, in public school growing up. But this is something that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa it's not, what, what do others have? They have something which is subjective. It may change from time to time, place to place, depending on scenario to scenario. We have something that Rasulullah sallallahu told us, taught us that khalas, this is what my Nabi said, this is what my Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I have to do. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa forbade interrupting two people who are having conversation. And he also forbade squishing in between two people where there is no adequate space. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in a hadith he mentioned, لا يحل لرجلين أن يفرق بين اثنين إلا بإذنهما That if two people, some ulama looking at this hadith have mentioned two people are talking, you cannot interrupt them until you ask them for permission. Or two people are sitting, they may be close to each other like perhaps on a Jum'ah. And then we see there's a small space. Sometimes we try to squeeze in because we don't know we don't know the proper etiquette. But Rasulullah actually forbade, forbid us from doing that. When it comes to the Sahaba and their gatherings, mashallah, they're very much like the gathering today. In what sense? In the sense that they would sit where the gathering ended. And then sometimes Rasulullah would, of course, Rasulullah would tell them sometimes to make more space. Sometimes, if there was adequate space, then there's no problem. But if there was no space, then the Sahaba would sit comfortably without causing any person difficulty, without causing any harm whatsoever. Rasulullah also mentioned, That if you truly believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the final day, then if you have something good to say, then say it. Otherwise, keep quiet. That look after the hearts of your fellow believers. And if a person reads more and more 
a person and uh, attends classes, then you'll see various different etiquettes. The list can go on and on and on and on. In fact, Al-Adab Al-Mufrad, subhanAllah, again, over 1,300 ahadith on various different topics. And these ones that we were discussing right now are mere social etiquettes. And there's so much more as well that our deen has to offer. But we are discussing the importance of etiquette. What's so important about it? If you look at the characteristics of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then amongst all the various different characteristics of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned in the Quran, one thing really stood out to me. One direct characteristic, direct quality. If you look at Ibrahim alayhi salam, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about his ability to submit. And if you look at other prophets, Ayyub is known for his patience, and so on and so forth, every prophet. But what is highlighted about Rasulullah Allah mentions, That surely you have exemplary character. Rasulullah was a pinnacle of what it meant to have good character. And when we look at the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then we see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned, he said, لا يوضع في الميزان يوم القيامة أثقل من خلق حسن من خلق حسن That there is nothing on the day of Qiyamah when we are told فمن ثقلت موازينه فأولئك هم المفلحون That though on the day of Qiyamah there are going to be scales and then our actions are going to be weighed our deeds and also our misdeeds those individuals who will have the scales weighed in their favor will ultimately be the successful ones and those whose misdeeds their bad deeds outweigh then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us all Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said there won't be a single thing weighed on the day of Qiyamah that will be more weightier than good character. And eventually a time comes in a person's life where they begin to think, you know, what's the purpose of life? There are three questions a person always thinks about. He thinks, number one is, what am I doing? Uh, where did I come from? And where am I going? Like Mulana Ahsan mentioned, that's how a believer thinks. That's how everyone thinks. Where did I where am I where did I come from? Where am I going and what am I doing here? As a Muslim, as a mu'min, alhamdulillah, we have the answer. The answer is Allah, Allah, Allah. That I came from Allah, Ya Yahun Nasu inna khalaqnaakum min dhakari mu untha. Then where what are, what is your purpose here? That your purpose here is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And where are you going? You're going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you created from Allah, you came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're here for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you're going back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then for a mu'min and a Muslim, it becomes very easy what our life is supposed to be. Our life is supposed to be fulfilling the commandments of Allah, to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To look forward to that meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we are taught who is our role model? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ That the best example for a believer is to look at the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs us that if we truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي that if you truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then follow Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Fattabi'uni doesn't just have to do with the various different rulings and the laws and the injunctions. Fattabi'uni also has to do with the adab and the akhlaq and the character that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought. Again, remember, what is the linguistic meaning? Remember, an array of qualities, such beautiful characteristics found in a person because of which thousands and hundreds and billions of people are flocking towards him because of that praiseworthy characteristic because of those praiseworthy characteristics look at the life of the sahaba radiallahu anhum not a single one of them was in the company of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam for a long time for a while except that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them with iman and islam that you find even enemies of islam 
You'll find those who harbor the most amount of enmity towards the Muslims to be the Yahud. You'll find, I mentioned this once and many times before actually, that you'll find that even non-Muslims, they praise Rasulullah That's true virtue. True virtue is that which your enemies testify to. That despite the fact that they have enmity towards Rasulullah towards the deen of Islam, they still testify to his virtue. And you'll find that they write, it seemed absolutely impossible that these Arabs were so backwards and they were in so, there was so much interesting warfare that they were at one another's necks and they just wanted to slaughter one another. Yet still Rasulullah all out of the blue, an individual came and in a matter of a few years, he united one of the most backwards of people and created one of the greatest world powers and empires that the world had ever seen at that time. And if you look at the life of Rasulullah people say Islam spread by the sword. People say Islam spread by the sword, definitely, yeah. But uh, not in the Arabian Peninsula, that's impossible because it was one man against everyone. So it could not have spread in the Arabian Peninsula through the sword, that's not possible. Look at how Rasulullah won their hearts over. You'll find different ahadith and so many different sahaba have so much to say about this. On one occasion, Rasulullah sent a squadron towards Najd. And on the way, they captured an individual by the name of Thumama ibn Uthal. They captured him, they brought him back to Medina, and they tied him to a pillar. Rasulullah then came to him and he said, Ma indaka ya Thumama. He said, What do you have to say for yourself? What do you expect? So he said, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad, in taqtulni taqtul damin. That if you're going to kill me, then you, you know, then I do have blood on, at, on my hands. And perhaps I may even have a bounty and, you know, I'm, I deserve to be killed. If you kill me, then perhaps I deserve to be killed. But in tunaim, tunaim ala shakirin. But if you're kind and you're benevolent, then you will find me to be very grateful. in kunta mal, and if you want wealth, you want money, then fasal shit. Ask whatever you want, I'll give you. He was very wealthy. Rasulullah left until the following day. Then he came again, Rasulullah asked, he said, Ma What do you have to say for yourself today? So then he said, Ma qultu laka, whatever I told you before, in tunaim ala shakirin. The first day he thought his life was at stake. He thought Rasulullah was going to take his life. Then he saw the kindness of Rasulullah. So the next day he said, Whatever I told you yesterday, but he only mentioned the following part that if you're going to be kind and benevolent then you're going to find me to be very grateful so then Rasulullah left him again until he came the following day then he said what do you have to say for yourself today and he said I don't have anything else to say so then Rasulullah told the other sahaba let him go and then he he told him also, he said, I've freed you and I've said, you can go wherever you want to go. So immediately he left. Rasulullah didn't, he didn't, you know, uh, offer Islam to him. He said, you know, just go your way. You can go, you can leave. He went to a date palm tree very nearby to the masjid. He found some source of water. He took a ghusl, took a shower, cleansed himself, cleaned himself. He entered the masjid, came to Rasulullah sallallahu and immediately he said the kalima, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadur Rasulullah. He continued, he said, Ya Muhammad, wallahi ma kana ala al-ardi wajhun abghada ilayya min wajhik. That Ya Muhammad, by Allah, there wasn't a single face on the face of this earth which was more hated to me than yours. Faqad asbaha wajhuka ahabba al-wujuhi ilayya. And now your face is the most beloved of faces to me. There wasn't a single way of life that was more hated and detested to me than your way of life. And now your way of life, your deen has now become the most beloved of things to me.
Wallahi ma kana min baladin abghadu ilayya min baladik. There wasn't a single place more hated to me than the place that you are staying. فَأَصْبَحَ بَلَدُكَ أَحَبَّ الْبِلَادِ إِلَيَّا And now your city, the place that you are sitting has now become the most beloved to me. It was just a matter of a few days. Looking at the, the character of the Sahaba anhum, look at, Looking at how Rasulullah treated him. A prisoner. A prisoner of perhaps even like a prisoner of war. A prisoner. Just being in the company of Rasulullah and the Sahaba for a few days was ready and prepared to accept Islam. That was their character. That was who Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. That was ala khuluqin alim. Then we understand, fattabi'uni, what is the reward for following Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? We have to follow Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who is the, he was the pinnacle of what it meant to have good character. So we have to follow that. We have to become that. And what is the reward? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, yuhbibkumullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you. Subhanallah. You can be head over heels for someone. You can have someone, you saw a girl, fallen in love, head over heels, so beautiful, so charismatic, only praises upon praises upon praises. But if she doesn't like you back, if she's not interested and she's not willing to commit, then it's just a waste of time. Then it's so devastating. So true love isn't in, true, true virtue isn't in loving someone. True love is not in loving someone. You can love whoever you want. But true love, true, sorry, true virtue, true virtue is in being the beloved. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you, you become like my Nabi. And look at who Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was ashrafu al-makhluqat, ahabbu al-khalqi ilallah. The most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's mentioned ahabbu ibadillah. The most beloved of servants to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most beloved of servants to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those who have the best of character. Who had better character than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Rasulullah was the most beloved to Allah. You become like Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi You follow me. You understand the importance of learning about these various different characteristics, about carrying yourself like Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Then Allah has given you the recipe. Allah has given you the recipe to what? To something that everyone wants. To become the beloved. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us the beloved. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us His beloved. And it has to do with inculcating the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The ulama have mentioned that مَا فَازَ مَنْ فَازَ إِلَّا بِالْأَدَبِ وَمَا سَقَطَ مَنْ سَقَطَ إِلَّا بِتَرْكِ الْأَدَبِ That no one has attained true success except through etiquette. Neither has anyone fallen so low except through leaving out etiquette. Now, subhanAllah, مَا فَازَ مَنْ فَازَ إِلَّا بِالْأَدَبِ وَمَا سَقَطَ مَنْ سَقَطَ إِلَّا بِتَرْكِ الْأَدَبِ No one has attained true success except through etiquette. بَأَدَبْ بَأَنَسِيبِ بَأَدَبْ بَأَنَسِيبِ No one has gone so low except because of leaving out etiquette. And the topic, original topic was Manners in decline, how social etiquette is fading in today's world. We find today, I mean, we, we find so few people actually worrying about these various different characteristics. And as time progresses, few and fewer of these values and these uh, teachings are actually being implemented. And we've, we, we've had classes, we attend classes, but the reality of the matter is that you cannot really truly learn etiquette except by spending time with those who have etiquette. And what happens when we spend time with etiquette, you'll find that we reach such heights that subhanAllah, we, you know, when we hear about the stories of people who have etiquette and who have spent time with others who have etiquette, we become perplexed. Some people here may even see that uh, maybe those who came a bit earlier, who came on Friday, you'll see you're walking around the hallways and all of a sudden uh, a student abruptly stops 
or a student for some reason is standing so awkwardly holding the door open or a student um, you know he just like quietly he's doing something and all of a sudden he just keeps his mouth shut and he stands to the side then we may look at these individuals and be like what, what is going on what's wrong with this guy but we don't realize that this is subhanAllah etiquette that they're observing when it comes to their teachers and when we hear about stories of the past we hear for example Imam Muhanifa rahimahullah he said ma madattu rijlaya ila Hamad qattu I never ever ila bayti Hamad qattu I never ever stretched my feet towards my teacher Hamad rahimahullah ever in my life and the distance between me and him were six blocks six blocks imagine he wasn't even in the same house he wasn't even in the same locality he was six blocks away i never even stretched my feet that way in that in that direction imam shafi'i rahimahullah i never drank water in the presence i never flipped a page such that it created any noise in the presence of my teacher imam shafi'i rahimahullah student i never drink water ever in the presence of my teacher we hear these things and we wonder subhanallah that's so that's so far-fetched, that's so strange. But we don't realize that these are actually nihayatu bidayat. These are the endings of a beginning. These are the endings, there was a beginning. There was a level of character that these individuals developed, that they were particular about. That we are taught, That when it comes to the salient features of our deen and of Islam, we are taught to honor them. When it comes to the Qur'an, for example, you have two different groups of people. Those who honor the Qur'an, they kiss the Qur'an, they, they revere the Qur'an, they apply itar perfume before touching the Qur'an. When they sit with the Qur'an, they keep the Qur'an on, on a pillow or they keep it on a, on a stand or on a desk. They ensure that they're not leaning against the wall when they're reading the Qur'an. They ensure that they don't use the Qur'an as a pillow. Na'udhu billah. And then on the other hand, we find others... Sometimes we don't realize, you know, it's because we don't realize it, that's why we're doing it. But we have like a, like a tissue box, or there's like a pen in our home, or gla our glasses. We're using our glasses to read the Qur'an. And then we don't realize, but we, we just put it on top of the Qur'an. Now, now, is this part of revering the Qur'an? I wouldn't consider that revering the Qur'an. Is that showing respect to the Qur'an? No. Is that necessarily showing disrespect to the Qur'an? But where does it lead? Just remember, bidayatu nihayat, the beginning to an end. That I heard this directly from my teacher, Muhammad Saab. He mentioned that his teacher, Maulana Ibrahim Mia, rahimahullah, who passed away, he was, they started one of the first schools and like major Hibs institutions in South Africa. And uh, they're responsible for all of the 13-line waterville Qur'ans that you see, beautiful print. They, you know, they printed them first initially and they distribute them throughout the world. Any 13-line any waterville Qur'an you'll see, you'll notice it says waterville print. They're the ones who are responsible for it. So he said, you know, we, we go and we distribute Qur'ans throughout Africa. So they went to some, uh, you know, North African country or West African country and they brought a whole, like many mushafs with them and they wanted to distribute them to these are, these are people who don't even have Qur'ans. They're using like slates to memorize. So they brought one Qur'an and they gave it to one child. You know, they saw like one child was memorizing Qur'an so they decided to give it to him. And he was so happy, he took the Qur'an, he kissed it, he put it on his head, tears were flowing from his eyes and that wasn't it. There was a whole entire ceremony that the entire village conducted just because he received a Qur'an. Out of gratitude and appreciation. Look at what respect they showed to the Qur'an. And on the other hand, the same individual, he mentions, we went to the Haram. And we were in Masjid al-Nabawi. And we were walking through, I was sitting down, I was taking some rest. And you know how you have the Mus'hafs everywhere in Masjid al-Nabawi. And so it just so happened that there were some people, they were cleaning the chandelier. Chandelier is very high. can't just reach it. You have to get like a ladder or something. So then they got a ladder, and then he was climbing, and he was cleaning the different, like he was cleaning the shelves and maybe the pillars, and then now he had to clean the chandelier. And so he got to the top, and na'udhu billah, what happened was 
it wasn't, he wasn't tall enough. So what did he do? He said, hand me one mushaf over there. And now what happens? Na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah. He said, with my own eyes, I saw him step on the mushaf. This is nihayatu bidayat. Did it start off there? No. It started off with, you know, putting the pencil on the Qur'an, putting the glasses on the Qur'an, keeping the Qur'an on the floor, not worrying about the Qur'an. This isn't, it's a slippery slope. That these are the endings. And on the other hand, when we see these great feats, these amazing inspirational stories, and it's not just the aima of the past. SubhanAllah, Shaykh Awama Hafidhullah, you'll see today, he's still alive. You can see him on, on YouTube too. You can go to Turkey and visit him. His son, Shaykh Muhyiddin Awama Hafidhullah, he mentions that anytime my father was speaking to Shaykh Abdul Fattah, rahimullah, we knew that he was speaking to Shaykh Abdul Fattah. He never had to tell us. So how? Because the, my, the habit of my father was he would never speak to Shaykh Abdul Fattah rahimahullah, while sitting down. Even if he was on the phone, even if Shaykh was in a different country, he would be standing the entire time. And that's how we knew that he was speaking to his teacher. SubhanAllah. There's another example. This has to do with, SubhanAllah, this is part and parcel of our deen. We don't understand. We hear these things. Maybe some of us, we think that this has nothing to do with our deen. This is... But look at the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Rasulullah That person has nothing to do with us. That, has, that person has nothing to do with us. Who does not honor our seniors? Subhanallah. When you see an elderly individual who is coming to the masjid, perhaps. His beard is now white, but he is a Muslim. Then he has such honor in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rasulullah mentioned part of showing your honor to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is honoring a senior individual whose hair has become white in age, due to age. And now we need to ask ourselves, how much are we actually honoring our elders? That when they speak, are we giving them the opportunity to speak? Or do we just yell at them, scowl at them? Do we walk in front of them? Do we open the door? What is the opposite of that? When a person is showing honor to an elderly senior individual, you're showing honor to Allah. When a person is not showing honor to them, when a person is being rude to them, then what is that showing? What is that tantamount to? What is that equal? And then at the same time, وَيَرْحَمْ صَغِيرَنَا Being kind and compassionate to our youngsters. Not just beating them and yelling at them and screaming at them, but rather teaching them, dealing with them in a kind manner. If you look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhu, he mentions, not once did, or Anas radiallahu anhu, not once did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ever scold me for anything that I did. Subhanallah. That's perfect character. But Rasulullah still got the message across. Rasulullah still looked after his heart and he still gave him a wonder, helped him and gave him, imparted the best of teachings. And you'll find that Anas radiallahu anhu, in honoring Rasulullah, one of the benefits of adab is that you get the du'as of those individuals truly from their heart. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your teacher, whether it's a senior member in your community. Once Anas radiallahu anhu merely just put water for making wudu. Rasulullah sallallahu came out and he wondered, hey, who put this water over here? Who put this water for me to make wudu? And then he found it was Anas radiallahu anhu. It's mentioned, Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa'allimhu al-kitaba wal-hikmah wal-ta'wil. Or Allahumma allimhu al-kitaba wal-hikmah. And there are different versions of the hadith. Immediately Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa made dua for him. He became mufassiru hadhi al-ummah for Abdullah bin Abbas particularly. Subhanallah. He became Mufassiru Hadi Ummah. And like that, there are so many other incidents. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, the service he did for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the dua Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa made for him, he became the greatest narrator of hadith today as far as numbers are concerned. And similarly, when it comes into this day and age, when it comes to honoring the ulama and respecting the ulama and respecting the imams of our community, how do we speak to them? Unfortunately, it's some communities where like, this is a reality, like, la hawla wa la quwata illa billahi al that the Imam is telling you from an Islamic perspective, from the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we're taught to do this, and someone cuts him off, we don't care what you have to say. 
Well, like, Wallahi al-Azim, I've heard this. We don't care what you have to say. That you don't understand what you, you, don't ha you have no understanding. Just let us do it. We understand what we're doing. On one occasion, there was an individual who, he saw some YouTube video, and the Imam was talking about making dua. And when you make dua, then what you're supposed to do is afterwards, it comes in a hadith of Rasulullah you wipe your face. It's mentioned in Abu Dawud and other places. This was also the practice of Umar anhu and the practice of various different muhaddithun. Sakhawi rahimahullah, Abdul Razak rahimahullah, Ma'amar rahimahullah, and many others as well. That after making dua, they would wipe. It's not just a cultural thing. It's, this is actually part of our deen. So it comes in narrations and riwayat. Ibn Hajar rahimahullah has also made tahsin of the narration. Imam Nawawi rahimahullah also in Subul al-Huda and Bulugh al-Maram, etc. So anyways, this one individual, he heard this one YouTube video. Now this YouTube video, this, this sheikh was saying, it's absolute bid'ah is haram. These people are leading these masses astray and they're bringing their culture into the deen. That you are uh, wiping your face. Astaghfirullah al-Aleem Now what? This was based on, this was his opinion which was based off of most probably ignorance because anyone who's studied and comes across a narration will uh, accept and ex you know, accept and if they don't accept to support it they'll at least accept that there's a difference of opinion at least at the very bare minimum if you won't accept the complete thing at least accept that it's a valid opinion so he didn't know that now what happened was this individual on the imam's public facebook page wrote a whole entire post ranting him out you are leading all of these people astray. You have no shame. You don't know anything. And this is about the, uh, this is the deen of Allah. And you think it's just your play toy and you're bringing your culture and your, uh, your, you know, your Indian subcontinent culture into this. And then all the imam had to do is, you know, please forgive me. This hadith came in, in Abu Dawood on this page and this is a hadith number. I don't know what to do after that. But where does it start? Do you think it just... It doesn't just start there. These are steps that were taken before this is a person who was not particular about it in the beginning now what is the solution again when we look at those who have mashallah praiseworthy characteristics and qualities this is nihayatu bidayat this was the end of a start that when they were young they were taught the proper morals. They spent time in the company of mashayikh. They learned what was proper etiquette. It's mentioned Imam Malik rahimahullah's own mother used to tell him, used to send him to the dars of Rabi'ah al-Ra'i rahimahullah just to learn from his etiquette. It's mentioned in the circles of Imam Ahmad rahimahullah when you had plus minus 15, 20,000 people attending his lectures, attending, collecting a hadith from him. From them only 500 only 500 were actually interested in taking a hadith and the rest were there merely to observe his character and his characteristics. Subhanallah. That's the level of value that the ulama of the past had. If you look at the muhaddithun, any person who wants to go and study postgraduate studies in the field of hadith, you'll find that the muhaddithun had not just chapters in their books about etiquette. They had entire books devoted just to show the etiquette that a person is supposed to have with their teacher when studying. In fact, you have individuals who spent extra years of their life not worrying about knowledge. In fact, after even having amassed the knowledge, just to learn how to be like that person because his character was so amazing. So these were bidayat, these were nihayatu bidayat. Their parents, their mashayikh, their teachers instilled these values within them. And then Shaykh Awama Hafidullah, he mentions that there is no, there is no end to adab. There's only one thing that a person has to consider. That so long as it's not um, impermissible in my deen, then, and it's praiseworthy, even if it may be cultural, then it's fine. For example, you have, uh, on the other hand, you have people, for example, when it comes to uh, certain cultures, it's part of, their, part of showing respect that you bow down to them. That's not permissible according to Islam. Why? Because it has to do with bowing down to an, a creation uh, and you cannot bow down to anyone. You cannot bow down for anyone except for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's not permissible. Or when it comes to certain people and um, in, in some Hindu cultures, uh, when you bow down to touch the feet of someone and it basically results in prostrating, then that's, that, that's question, very questionable. 
But other than that, when it comes to straightening the shoes of teachers, when it comes to, you have amongst Rasulullah wasallam, they used to carry the sandals for Rasulullah wasallam, Carrying the sandals for your teacher, setting the, 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 the shoes of your parents straight. SubhanAllah, we used to see in uh, our teacher, Mawlana Muhammad Sahib, many times when his father, Rahimullah, was alive, sometimes his father would keep his shoes right at the entrance. He was delivering a lecture, a very famous speaker. And then right as he was leaving, um, he, he would just put on the shoes very quickly and go out the door. My teacher, on the, in the meantime, he, he left his shoes in some other shelf. But now to look after, out of respect for his father, he continued barefoot into the parking lot just to ensure that his father was seated properly into the car and someone was taking him to go. He didn't worry about his shoes. And sometimes, sometimes even in the rain, sometimes even in the cold, then you'd have other students chase after him with the shoes. These are your shoes, Mom. Our Usad used to also say, he said, he says like if you're going to make the service of someone else eventually others will also respect you and they will take care of you too but anyways what is the way forward when we're looking at our lives today we see that there are so many children who just have absolutely no etiquette so many people are becoming teenagers adults they don't know how to speak they don't know how to talk they don't know how to interact they have no respect whatsoever so the reality is we have to actually start with ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Ku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. The most beloved thing in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is good character. In another hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he has mentioned, he says that, Al-Muslimul musaddad, an upright Muslim, yudriku darajata sawwam al-qawwami yawm al-qiyamati bi husni khuluqihi. A, an upright believer who may not be a devoted servant of Allah who is in, in the sense that he is like, you know, um, has such the marks on his forehead because of excessive salahs and he's, you know, praying to hajjud every night and he is uh, emancipated. He is like very, um, he is very skinny because of the fact that he's fasting every day. No, no. He's a normal, upright believer. He will receive, he will reach the ranks of such an individual who devoted his entire life such that he became, he, he's known as sawam, he's known as qawwam, a person who excessively fasts, a person who excessively prays on the day of qiyamah merely through his bihusni khunuqihi, merely through his character. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, he gave a formula for our success. He says, man ahabba an yuzahzaha anin nar. Whoever wants to distance himself from the fire of Jahannam, وَيُدْخِلَ الْجَنَّةِ And he wants to be admitted into the fire, uh, into, into paradise, then he should die in such a condition. Such a condition that he believes in Allah and the hereafter. And he should die in such a manner that he treats others the way he himself wants to be treated. So we have to start with ourselves. We have to educate ourselves. We have to spend time in the suhbah of mashayikh. Again, this is something you cannot, like you can read about it. You can read about as much as you want. But actual implementation, it will really truly only have an effect in your life if you see it in the lives of others. And in our lives, subhanAllah, we are so fortunate to see our teachers and, and the great amount of etiquette, the exact hadith we see with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. on one occasion there was a Bedouin he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, snatched the scarf from his from his shoulder such that it left a mark on the body of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. On one occasion, I went to an ishtima in South Africa when when I was studying there, and um, there was a very famous muhaddith, Mufti Bana, Hafidhullah Rahu, wonderful, one of the greatest muhaddithun uh, um, in South Africa. Mashallah, there are a few. He he teaches one tachasus, and Mawlana Muhammad Sahib also teaches tachasus. So he was also there, and he was walking. And uh, this one young boy, 16 year old, this is like such a great muhaddith, like 40 years old, everyone respects him. And he's walking, and then there's this young boy, he's 15, 16, doesn't look, he's not looking where he's walking, and just like hard hit right into Mufti Bana, Hafidhullah. Mufti Bana, I, I was scared for this man. I was like, what's gonna happen to this kid? He's gonna, uh, he just looked at him. He smiled, and he continued walking. He was like, you're okay. okay. Continue walking. That's prophetic character. You're not gonna, no, normal people don't do that. You have to see that. And when you see that, then you're like, subhanAllah. 
When you see the abuse that other people go through, you see the tolerance that other people have, then the tolerance will be created. And that is why we still have, we still have examples today. You have people who sat with people who sat with people who sat with people who sat with Rasulullah Yes, although it may be slightly watered down as the generations you know, continue, but it's still something to start with. And if we have an importance with regards to that and we begin to pursue such things, then we can begin imparting it and we can begin looking after our children and raising them in such a manner that we have to be the ones who ensure that no, you can't just touch the Quran, you can't just rip out pages in the Quran, you have to stop your child. You have to teach them. My Ustad would mention some, the child doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. Three-year-old, four-year-old takes the Quran after the thing and starts ripping up papers. You can't just let him go you have to reprimand the child. You have to take him back and you have to hold him back. You have to show your anger. And the child will automatically start crying most of the time. They hate to see their parents upset, especially three-year-old, four-year-olds will start crying. They won't understand what's wrong. You do that once, you do that twice, you do that three times, he'll begin to understand. And then he'll begin to develop having respect for the Qur'an at such a young age. But if we're just going to leave it, like, yeah, he doesn't know any better. And we're going to ignore it, we're going to ignore it, and we're not going to worry about it. Another thing is when, when, when you're teaching your children how to greet others, subhanAllah, we have, mashallah, you have certain adults, certain parents, mashallah, like uh, one of the teachers bring, always brings his son, two years old, three years old, he forces him. You have to give salam. That's what my father would do too. He would force us. We would be crying our, like, you know, our eyes out, but he would force us. You have to meet every single person in, in this gathering and give them salams. Otherwise, what happens is now you have children who are like eight years old, ten years old. They come into a gathering. They don't even say salams. They don't even greet. They don't even say assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And whose fault is that? Ours as parents because we're not even caring about them. We don't even stop them. We don't even reprimand them. We don't even tell them. When it comes to drinking water, right hand, left hand, all of these things we have to be particular about. And how do you impart that with shafqa? How do you impart that with care and, and with compassion? You have to teach them, you have to show them that this is what our Nabi used to do. This isn't the right way to do it. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to do it. Don't you want to become closer to Allah? Don't you want the love of Rasulullah? This is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. If we're not going to teach them, that's the difference. You find some parents, they, 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 they don't know any better. This is because this is what my father said. We have to educate ourselves first. This is not, we don't do things because this is what our, you know, this is how our tradition is, this is how our culture is, we do things because this is what our deen teaches us. Because this is what our deen teaches us. And subhanAllah, especially those of us from various different cultures and backgrounds, whether it's Indian, um, Bangladeshi, Pakistani, Arabs, Palestinian, Syrian, etc. It doesn't matter. You, if you have a relationship, a connection to Islam, and, and even if you don't, like we started at the very beginning, etiquette, character is such a thing that was taught to everyone. We know it exists, we have to just acquaint ourselves with it. And once we know, once we, when we're aware of all these various different characteristics that are there, it's very easy to look in the hadith of Rasulullah and find those exact things. Whether it comes to speaking audibly, then we find that in the hadith of Rasulullah When it comes to, uh, you know, um, cleaning up after yourself, when it comes to not causing another person taklif and difficulty, then all of these things, every single etiquette that is required for peace and for a society to function properly is found in the deen of Islam. And this is the greatest of bounties that it is only through iman, Islam, through adab and etiquettes that Rasulullah created such a wonderful functioning community, such a great world power. This is how he united the entire Arabian Peninsula and created one of the greatest of empires of all time. But it is only after the Muslims began to lose those values that slowly they weaken and they became weaker and they became weaker and they became weaker. If we have these, bring these qualities into our lives, when Rasulullah came to Medina Munawwara, Afshu Salam, Ta'am, he only talked about etiquettes. You know, spread the greeting of Salam and feed others food and, and maintain family ties. Talked about all these etiquettes, that's how he changed the entire environment. If we begin to create this, if we begin to smile at others, like I, SubhanAllah, so ajeeb, you find people, inshallah, I end with this, you find um, people complain that you're not even smiling. Like, come on, man. People in their own nikah are not even smiling. Ajeeb. So ajeeb. Our teacher would always say, but you're getting married for God's sake. Smile. They're not smiling. 
you have to smile. This is a prophetic. Rasulullah said, don't ever, you know, start with smiling, then greeting. All of these normal things, inshallah, if we begin to do it, we'll have the greatest of communities. We'll have the best of brothers. We'll have the best of connections. Every time you meet someone, you say, Assalamu alaikum. Just the other time I was walking out the street and then uh, said, Assalamu alaikum. Brother pulled down the window. He said, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And he ensured every time he came to the masjid, he sees me. I said, like, you know, what happened? He said, no. I just appreciate the fact that you said salams to me. Like, you imagine if everyone in the community started doing that, what type of a community we would have. But we see each other, we go past each other, we don't even give salam, we don't even smile, we don't even crack a smile, nothing. So inshallah, once we start creating this, we will, create, we will have well-knit uh, communities inshallah, and ultimately, we'll become the beloveds of Allah. That's the easiest way to enter Jannah. That's the easiest way, to, we don't have, I mean, we have to inshallah, exert ourselves to the best of our abilities. But this is something which is the weightiest on the day of Qiyamah in the scales. Such an easy conclusion, it's such an easy formula to attain Jannah, to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all tawfiq. If we don't, then we will only be leading towards the destruction of our own communities. We will be leading towards the separation of the Muslims ourselves. We ourselves will be at fault for that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all tawfiq to begin to learn as many etiquettes as we can. Let us attend those classes. Let us spend time in the company of mashayikh. And let us then begin imparting all of these characteristics to our children and also to our family members. Jazakumullah khairan wa akhiru da'wan and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Jazakumullah khairan Mawlana Sab for that profound reminder and program. When we sit at the feet of our esteemed and beloved scholars, we truly learn how lacking we are Yet we can learn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought us together here to grow and to implement